1: Welcome to Upfront with Troy Deeney and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine, the centre forward, the goal getter. On this episode, we're going to discuss his career, defining goals, the sacrifices that he and others around him had to make, and that feeling of when the ball hits the back of the net.
0: Deeney! Do not scratch your eyes. You are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here with the very last kick. Playoff semi final Troy Deeney wins it for Watford and sends them to Wembley.
1: You're listening to Upfront with Troy Deeney To connect with the football supporting public, you probably have to be quite a genuine character, willing to graft, come up with some moments of true impact on the field of play. You need to be honest about your mistakes. It helps if you can talk their language, it also helps if you are a leader on the field. And a goal-scoring centre-forward certainly ticks those boxes. At one stage, our guest today was a bricklayer. I think he wanted to be a fireman at one point. He has since become Watford's leading Premier League goal-scorer and a Hornet pin-up boy. Welcome to Upfront with Troy Deeney. Hello, pal. Hello, mate. Did you just
2: call me a pin-up boy?
1: Yeah, I did.
2: <laughs> I've, I've cracked it. I'm going to tell my mum I've cracked it, <laughs> and that's it. You've done it now. Um, what, why do? Why is it? Do you think
1: that you connect with people?
2: Honestly, a lot of um, a lot of my upbringing, I, I would say. My mum worked in pubs. So I, I used to be a glass collector from a, a very young age in pubs, and uh, my dad was always in and out of pubs as well, like socialising and stuff. So, I spent a lot of time interacting with new people. And um, I'm quite good at just understanding that everyone's got a story. We're no, we're no better than anybody else. And again, I appreciate people. I appreciate what everybody else is going through. And um, whether you're, you know, a, a binman or whether you're a, a, a musician, we've all got bills to pay. We've all got families. We've all got mental scars. And yeah, I, just, I think I just people can just relate to me. I think you know a lot of Troy Deeney's. We either went to school with one or. You played football with one on a Sunday that you know that kid that's not bad at football but messed about a lot and we all know that person that said, oh, I, I was good at one stage, but you know my knee or if I didn't get on the drink or something like that. so I was that guy. I just managed to maneuver myself and, and just just carry on plowing away really.
1: Goals are the currency that most strikers are judged by.
2: Is, yeah. is, is it all about goals for you? Has it always been about goals for you? no actually and the reason that is because when i you touched I was a, I was a Brit layer, but when i was a Brit layer, I was playing with my mates I used to play centre midfield so i always used to enjoy creating for other people but when i was like 16 i was playing with like 25 30 year olds i was playing in like proper men's football so i used to be the the little kid that was could handle himself but i was very mobile and had a lot more energy than somebody other shall we say so i I used to score, but then I'd, always, I'd score like one or two and then I'd get bored of it and I'd try and set other people up and just wanted other people to have the limelight. So, goals have never really been the main thing for me. I I can't explain to you the, the rush that you get when you score a goal. Like, that's something I'm going to struggle with, I think, after football, but I do think... Um, the main part in terms of when people look at me, I don't think I'm considered a goal scorer, right? even though my record, I think I'm about, I'm just over one in three, I think, for my career, which mm-hmm. isn't which isn't too bad over a 13-year career. So I'm doing all right. But I think the main aspect for me is leadership, what I do without the ball in terms of defensively, putting people under pressure and and the out ball as well, where, where again, for a team like us, if we're under pressure and we're playing, you know, one of the big six and pl- and probably have to get up, get it up to me and have to hold it, try to draw fouls. That's probably more what I do and bring people into the game.
1: You spoke about that rush that you said you can't describe. Mm-hmm. Um, is it an addictive
2: feeling? It is, but then if you go like, because obviously, again, if you was talking to Wrighty or Alan Shearer or Rooney or someone that's always banging goals in Defoe, or someone like that, you know, that scored like, Hundreds of goals, and their main attribute to their game is goal scoring. I think they would get used to the rush, whereas Mm. I may go nine, ten games without a goal, but then I I, I tend to to score in like little patches. So I'll probably go nine, ten games without a goal, then I'll get like five in seven. So when I haven't got it, I'm like, oh, I want that rush again. Then when I get it, I'm like, whoa, 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 it's a bit too much. It's too much coming here. I don't know how to deal with it. So, um, the two things I will struggle with after football is the coming out of the tunnel. That little bit there, the 30 seconds of stood, stood there, I really do enjoy that. That's like the gladiator entering the entering the Coliseum. And then the, the feeling of scoring and the euphoria, because if you do get, in the very few moments you get to look into the crowd, you just see genuine happiness. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Thirty one years of age now. Are you still learning? Yeah. I don't like it when you say that. I'm hoping my birthday's coming <laughs> up, so I'm hoping that with this quarantine, it doesn't necessarily mean I get older. I should still be thirty one, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I said that about if the season's null and voided, does it mean when I go back I'm still forty one? <laughs> yeah, definitely.
2: That's what I'm that's what I'm aiming for. So um, if we can stay in quarantine to the end of June, I'm officially still thirty one for another year, so it's brilliant. <laughs> I am definitely learning. I think I am I'm in a situation now where Due to life lessons, I think, growing up, maturity, understanding me as well as a person, um, I've now come to a point in my life where I'm actually, again, I sound like one of them old boxers. You know them old boxers? It's like I'm the best I've ever been. But I am physically and mentally the best I've ever been. It's just a case now of um, just trying to enjoy the time because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to play at the top level for.
1: Let's uh, warm up with a couple of quick-fire questions uh, to I'll get bet. a sense of uh, who Troy Deeney is. What's your favourite goal? Oh, Charlton away.
0: Deeney who controls it on the edge of the oh. box. He holds off Morrison and then gets the volley. Oh, oh what a, a goal bad. from Troy Deeney. He just keeps on delivering for Watford. And that was a stunning
2: strike. I think we lost like 4-1. It was a really bad day. But um, I had like a long ball, like, kind of aimlessly pumped up towards me. Uh, it's come over my shoulder. I've brought it down like back over the guy's head as it's bounced. I've hit it on the half-volley bar and in from about 25 yards. And it was a it was a real special goal. Everyone always goes back to the Leicester goal, but it kind of... That was the one I you. thought you were going
1: to come up with, the playoff
2: semi-final, second leg. No, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to get used to that's just what everyone remembers me for. So I appreciate it and I do appreciate it. But for me, remember that year was the year I came out of jail. Mm. So while it was a good year in terms of football... It was also a bad year in terms of my home life, so it just always reminds me of, of that. So it's kind of my Aguero moment, but I have to learn to live with that. That's the one that everyone remembers. And when I see it, I do appreciate it for what it is, but it's just the, the psychological backdrop of me going, ah, that's not kind of what I wanted to, to be my defining moment. Who was your favourite strike partner? Igala. Even though he didn't pass you the ball at Old Trafford? Mm-hmm. You, didn't to, you, didn't to, you didn't have to bring that up We're do so well Yeah, we're over that now We've passed it um, Yeah, that was a special day I've never scored at Man United And, I'm, and I don't think I ever will Because even this season when I did score VAR pulled it back for a shoulder That was deemed handball from Dawson in the build-up So uh, I don't think I'm ever meant to score at Old Trafford Who was your childhood hero? Ian Wright um, What manager got the best out of you
1: as a striker?
2: Franco Zola. Really? Yeah. like we our, our attacking team was very much like, you're going to score four, we're going to score five. That was kind of our mantra. But spent a lot of time with me after training, doing like 20-minute, 30-minute drills of little things that people wouldn't even appreciate, but like smaller steps. So I used to take big strides and shoot quite wildly. And he, um, he literally broke it down. He said, instead of taking two long strides, let's try and get seven smaller steps in. And then we kind of just did little technical things like that and started passing the ball a lot more. And he was like, you have to appreciate how much power you actually have. So he, he did compare me to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck, which I was like, that will never, ever go down well. But um, yeah, he compared me to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck in the sense that we both don't need too much back lift to actually hit a ball really hard. So he was just like, you just need to calm down and just take smaller steps and then guide it in and then. From then, I kind of went on to score twenty plus.
1: Which defender was your toughest, or has been your
2: toughest opponent to date? I would normally go like Van Dyke, just because of how how big and strong and powerful he is, and he's just he's just great. I've said it before; he smiles lovely as well when you're playing. He's, he's really nice, such a friendly yeah, guy. He is and then when we obviously beat them three 0 he was doing his hair in the game, and I was just like, I remember standing there going, "That's unbelievable." Do you know when you just look at someone and just go, wow, wow, well done you.
1: Here's Deeney again. Real chance for two it is. It's
0: the equaliser. The ten men of Walsall have fought back. I know I'd go from rags to riches
1: If you would only say you care You grew up in Birmingham in the 90s, I suppose. What was it like where you were from?
2: I always said it was normal to me, but Again, everyone's sense of normal is, is, is different. I grew up in what was the biggest camp to the state in Europe until the mid-90s. So I think that would give you a sense of what it was like. But I think the best thing I could say about my childhood, childhood sorry was that it was loving. it. Was I didn't see a lot of the trouble that I was I grew up in until I was about 10. And again, from breaking it down now with like psychologists and stuff, like... My dad was in, involved in a lot of um, crime and stuff like that, so he did a lot of lot of things, and, and we would see like police coming very regularly to the house. But it just become normal, you know. Like if a police officer come and knock my house now, I'd be like, "Oh, what's happened? Like who's died?" You know, kind of go into panic mode. But mm. because it was so regular, it just become normal, and it was like, no, he's not here." Shut the door, carry on with normal life. No one really spoke about it, but. I always had a ball in my hand. My dad always made sure I had a football. So from the age of, from like three, always had a ball. I played what would have been under nines football when I was six, and my dad used to make me play football with all the local bigger kids and just say to him, "Kick him if he moans, he'll come in." I got taught to to grow up very quickly, and and I'd say fun, but very uh, very harshly in terms of 10, 10 and eleven year olds kicking a six year old when I was running past them was wasn't fun.
1: You don't go for star players or politicians or historians or celebs as heroes. Your mum is your hero.
2: Why? Just my angel. You know what I mean? Like just somebody that's always there for me. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Anything I've done, she's always been there. As a kid growing up and, and seeing her work three jobs, you know, at times when my dad was in jail and stuff, like so she made made sure that we never went without Don't get me wrong, we didn't have the best of everything and we didn't have a lot of everything, but everything we had, she worked for and she was very proud of that. There was three of us at the time and she just went, doesn't matter about me, so selfless, Troy's going to do his football. My little brother was at Aston Villa as well, so he does his football. My sister was very good at gymnastics, so it was like three of us all having stuff to do. So Monday to Friday was 100% activities and she, she still managed to work three jobs and get us to all our our things on time, and make sure that we never missed out on anything. And that's probably why she's my hero, I suppose.
1: And you mentioned that your brother was at Villa. Y- yeah, you had a little bit of a flirtation with Villa, didn't you? What What happened
2: <laughs> with the trial? This is what I say when I talk to. I, I just didn't care about football in the sense that I didn't think it was going to be my dream, my goal. If I could do it, was to play for my local team, which was Chelsea Town. All the cool kids from my area they played there, so. If you could play there, that was that was my Liverpool, that was my Birmingham City, uh, and then three of us got asked to go on trial at Villa, and it was like a five day trial in the holidays. But they give you this like schedule, so it was like Monday was like an introduction, get you do some stuff. Tuesday training, Wednesday training, Thursday training, Friday was the game. So I turned up on the Monday, had a little look. They had like Yazoo's. I remember beans on toast and Yazoo's. I do remember that. And I was like, "Oh wow, I stole about three Yazoo's, and like give my brother sister one." And then I didn't go back until the Friday because I just wanted to play the game. That was it. They kind of went, "Ah, you're not interested." They, to be fair to them, they still let me play. I played like half a game, did did well, but that was it. And then they just went, "We're not going to keep it." And And I was like, "Okay, that was it."
1: So how did how did you go from missing out on that trial, being expelled from school at fourteen, um, missing yeah. that chance to go to an academy, ending up as a bricklayer to playing professional football at Walsall? How did how did that manifest itself? Because that's quite a quick journey, isn't it? And quite a lot of yeah. stops
2: on the way. Yeah, so I was playing for three seasons. I just got I got bored of winning because there was times our keeper used to come and bring his Beano book and just read and stuff like that. It was just embarrassing. Um, and you started like feeling sorry for like the other team because we just we just killed them. And then I went and played adults football. And after I don't know six seven months of playing there, I ended up going into their like men's team again, youngest by about five years in there. Played with their first team for about eighteen months. But I was built. I was at building college as well at the time. And then I kind of passed as a bricklayer, did a job just working on the doctors in in Chelsea Wood, where I was from. That finished on the Friday and I got my last payout, which was like £180 for the week. So in my head, I was like living the dream because I didn't have to pay rent at that point. And then I went out, had a real good Friday night with the lads, was hanging and my mum does this thing every Saturday where she cleans up and about 11 o'clock, she, it was time to do Troy's room. So it was get out. I don't care what you do, just get out. So I got up, showered, Went across and played football with the lads, played a game, scored a few goals. And uh, Mick Housel was there from Warsaw. And again, I I feel really embarrassed when I say this story, but I kind of like dismissed him when he spoke to me at the start, at the end of the game. He was like, oh, how old are you? He was like, 18. Like, what do you do? I was like, oh, not much. I was like, can we go outside? I I need a beer. I genuinely, it was that point but you never yet got a hangover. I've just run around and I just needed another beer to kind of level myself up. And he came in and just said, do you fancy a trial at Walsall? But I'd never been to Walsall. I'd never actually been outside of Birmingham at that point. So I didn't know where Walsall was. So I was like, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. And he goes, yeah, come on Monday and we'll figure it out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then he turned around to the club secretary, who was Derek at the time, and said, you make sure he turns up on Monday. And then I kind of went out Saturday night with the lads, didn't think anything of it, played Sunday, and then went out again all day Sunday. 'Cause I didn't have any work on Monday and then Monday morning my door's just banging. I was like, Who's that? Like opened the door, opened my window, looked out, and it was like, Come on, we gotta go. I was like, Go where? He's like, Warsaw? I was like, That was real. He's like, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I literally turned up at Warsaw and Mick will tell you this I had a tracksuit on and my boots full of cakes of mud in an added uh, in a Asda bag, sorry. And it just turned up and just got in there and Mick was like well, you can go and clean your boots for us there and there and then get changed and then we're just starting. And I literally was, that was it. I played one under-18s game, scored one, assisted one. Um, then they went, it's too big and too strong for the 18s. Because at this point, I was two years into playing with adults. So I was more developed than some of the other kids. And then they sent me on trial at Hales Owen um, under Martin O'Connor. Again, was like a Bougain City legend and obviously I'm a Blues fan. So I was like in awe of him and I scored... I even scored eight in ten or ten in eight over Christmas with them. I just got called back into Warsaw one day, and they were just like, well, "Here's a contract." And again, I didn't have an, any representation or anything like that. I was like, "Okay." It was to the end of the season. It was like a hundred and he was a like hundred and ten pound I think I was on, and a fifty pound um, trade pass to get in, and and that was it. The dream dream was lit, and the fire was lit. And I I never from that moment on never looked back. My mum, again being the angel that she is. I went three months without getting paid when I was on this trial at Walsall, and she just said, "Don't worry, just keep going, just keep going." And then, thankfully, we're we're here today.
1: What was it like the first time you put on the shirt then as a pro footballer and playing for Walsall under? I mean, you played under Chris Hutchins, scored a load of goals yeah. under him, sort of hit it off under him. What what was so yeah. good about
2: it? You know what? I genuinely had good schooling. I'm I'm very privileged to have played with some real characters. So when I first came in, we had Tommy Mooney, who Literally took me under his wing. He ended up being my taxi driver. He just picked me up, dropped me in, dropped me back. But would do also little things that I still do to this day. So if I miss a target, I'll still do two press-ups. had him for a year and then Michael Ricketts came in. who's like one of my, my real good friends now. When I really hit it off under Chris Hutchins, I'd had two years of them explaining the game to me. And then I had Darren Byfield who was with me. And Darren was like the perfect foil. So he was playing on the shoulder, had no interest in coming to link up play. So I could come short, do that, and then just put him in behind. And naturally, my instinct of playing in midfield and, and searching a pass out kind of just played nicely to us. And, and we, we had a good spell. I think I scored like 13, 14 goals, one player of the year and stuff. The centre forward, the,
1: the, the number nine, is often the centre of attention. How yeah. How did you deal with that? How do you deal with it?
2: I genuinely enjoy it. I, I like being... I've turned myself into the pantomime villa for two reasons. If you come at me, I'm naturally going to raise my game. So I do try and get fans to... You know, like if I'm not doing great or I'm not feeling great, I'll normally do something, whether it be run a ball down and then just give the the centre half a little budge after the ball's gone, you know, just to get the crowd going, oh, what's he doing kind of thing. And then they'll go, right, they're all on me now. That's brilliant. And then that makes me kind of lift my game up. Or, and the main reason I actually do it, which people don't actually know, is I actually try and take the pressure off my players. Mm. So I kind of go, well, if they're all focusing their attention on me, nine times out of ten, you guys can just play carefree and just do what you're doing. So when we, like, when we played Villa away, for example, there was like 44,000 screaming at me. That should give nine other people the freedom to do what they want. Yeah, I can't do it for that reason as well, just to shoulder a bit more blame, really, and a bit more responsibility.
1: How do you keep yourself busy when you're not playing football? What's your go-to movie genre? Have you got like an inspirational film that you watch or a box set that you keep going back to to sort of keep your mind off football?
2: I enjoy my boxing. In the early 90s, obviously, my dad used to make me watch Mike Tyson. The count is up to five, it's six, it's seven, and eight. He won't be able to do it. It's all over. Mike Tyson... For people that don't know that, like Tyson coming to the ring to just a, a gong, when people see it now, it's all like fireworks and people like singing or rapping towards the stuff, He just dong, let's go, and walked as fast as he could to the ring because he just wanted to get in there and hurt people. And the intimidation of that nine times out of ten, one until till Holyfield and, and Lennox obviously took that off him. But um, I like to watch Goodfellas or Sopranos. Just things that remind me of my childhood, really, that just take me away from being Troy the footballer. Because, believe it or not, I, I enjoy that and I live for that. But there's an element of me that just wants to be a kid again and not have the responsibilities.
1: You have had your spells of trouble, grief, yeah. prison, gambling, alcohol. Yeah. How, how, how have you dealt with it and come through it?
2: I think the hardest thing for anyone to do is admit you've got a problem and then act on it. So I genuinely used to love a drink live for it. weekends is what I live for and then if that ended up in a scrap so be it not proud of it but it was just it was just kind of the the environment in which I grew up and I think a lot of it is about learned behaviors as well so it's what you you see a lot of things and you think that's just normal and you kind of normalize it and go well that's what I'm going to do because everybody does it and obviously as I've got older and experienced a lot more and my mind has been opened to newer things and and seeing that the world is a lot bigger than Chamsie Wood where I'm from you then go what an idiot you was but I would never change any it because I think it's it's genuinely made me who I am to this day I'm still working on being completely Tito all that that's a work in progress the anger I'm still working on um, that's a lot of deep-rooted stuff in, in terms of childhood and just not being happy with myself in in certain aspects of my life. Um, But all of this I'm doing with professional help. And every Monday from two till five, I sit and I talk and I try and peel back the layers of this onion that is me and try and work it out. And then once I've worked it out, I'll happily tell everybody the key to it. But um, as of right now, I'm still working hard at it. Do you think you're a better footballer because you've indulged in therapy? Yeah, but it's not for everybody. I would say that. I'm not one of the people that says you have to talk and you, you have to be ready to do anything. And, and therapy is tiring. Anyone that says it's good fun is, is lying. It's it's a release. and You do feel a, a lot of pressure and weight come out, of, mainly out of my shoulders, I find. But um, I'm very tired afterwards for like a day of just offloading and, and the, the emotional kind of hit that you take from it. But yeah, it's not for everybody, Sam, honestly. If you if you feel that you need to talk to somebody, I would always say try it. Um and then go from there because as I say, it's not for everyone.
0: It's turned back for Watford And Deedee scores Deedee scores for
1: Watford Six minutes to stop his time A pitch invasion Fans on the field Huge drama here at the Road! of Leicester miss a penalty 6 minutes to stop his time And Watford go down to the end and score I have never seen change like this It's unbelievable man, very long. In 2010 you moved to Watford. It wasn't an instant hit. It was a tough preseason, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You weren't know yeah. you didn't know where you were going to be. You said you moved there on the final day of the or just before the start of the season. And Michael yeah. Mal- McKay was in charge, I think. What, what happened?
2: Yeah. It was actually funny because again, I was kicking up a fuss to go to Charlton just because I wanted to move. I remember Darren Byfield telling me, "Stop like sulking. You will move. It will happen. But you've got to be fit here. So keep, get yourself fit here." And when it moves, you're ready to go. And I was like, nah, sorry, guys. Again, I was, what, 21 at the time? But yeah, no one could really tell me anything. I, I knew best. And he kept saying to me, like, stop doing it, stop doing it. And I remember going to speak to Chris Hutchins. And I said, look, I want to go. But will you let me go? And he said, no. And I went, OK, well, you're going to regret that. And literally for five weeks, I did all the running. But every time a ball came out, I just kicked balls away. Because I remember um, a player doing it before and he said, don't ever do this unless you know you've got a move coming. And I was just kicking balls away and just being disruptive, really, until, as I say, the the last day. So I moved on the Friday. We were the first game of the season. It was Watford-Norwich away. I went down, did all my medical, did everything, was in the hotel with my mum at like, I want to say, 11 o'clock. And then they got a call saying, it's off, go back home. So we drove back to Birmingham. That was at, let's say, 11. So i probably say I got back for about one, half one. Went to sleep for a few hours at like six in the morning. Got another call saying you need to have a heart test in Cannock, eight, because the deal's back on. And I was like, what's going on at this point? Again, it's my first experience in terms of football business. Went there, got my heart checked, got told to go into Warsaw because training was at nine. Bought in for Chris Hutchins to say, I just wanted to say goodbye. Shut my hand and went, all the best. Uh, and then got in my car, drove from Cannock to Beaconsfield at M40, yeah. uh, Junction 2. Signed, signed in the service station. Great service had, station. Yeah, great, unbelievable service station. I'm in there. A lot of people will see me. <laughs> um, and if you see me at Greg's, mind your business. Um, <laughs> and then went from there to Norwich. Got there at half four in the afternoon. Walked into a, uh, a hotel room. A kid called Dale Bennett was in there. And he just like, he was proper sweating. You know, someone just looked fuming. I was like, hi, mate, I'm Troy. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. You just kicked me out of the squad. I was like, pardon? He's like, yeah, he's like he was due to be on the bench. And I've obviously signed in time. So he's then been made to run. Um, and obviously I was like, ah, this is awkward. Literally jumped to that shower, put my tracksuit on, went downstairs said hello to everybody, meeting pre-match and then we're at the game and then I come on at half-time. You're underway then.
1: Malky, Sean Dias. you mentioned about Gianfranco Zola changing your your, your goals output because it, it does that last three seasons in the Championship before you get promoted. Your yeah. goal output rockets. Um, yeah. Are those the most enjoyable times at this point of your career? Are you are you flying? Is it all instinct? Is it all sort of happening on adrenaline or are you... Is the, the positioning natural, or is it all being? Are you benefiting now from better coaching?
2: Better coaching. I think that's a bit harsh. I think the um, I think what happened was I matured into understanding what it took to go up through the levels. So I think what again, I don't know because I've never done it. But what I I think happens between the youth setup going into a first team, you are kind of conditioned to understand that each time you go up the level, kind of changes. Where I never had that, I just kind of hit the ground running. So when I went to Howes Owen, I scored goals. It was easy. Went to uh, Warsaw, scored goals, played lots of games. It was easy. Moved to Watford and then I was kind of like, it's just going to be easy. And Malky and and Daishi were very, very strict in their approach that the the group mattered more than the individual. Whereas at Warsaw, I could kind of get away with whatever because... I was the young star, so they wanted to sell me in the long term with the business, but also kind of mould him. But don't tell him off too much, because if he loses his head, then we, we can't. He's not an asset to us. So, kind of got away with a lot more than I would have done. But Malky tried his best to to get me to understand that I was only like five grand a week at that at that point. And again, as I've said about my my upbringing, five grand a week could have bought probably a house a week where I'm from, so we we ended up kind of still hanging around with all my old mates, and then you add a fire of I'm in the championship now and everyone knows who I am to then add more money than I've ever had in my life. I just turned into a, a to be honest. There's no other way of, uh, of of saying it, so Malky tried his best to keep trying to rein me in and get me to understand because he put his neck on the line to bring me in anyway because I think that was the first time they'd spent Money on a player in maybe two years, so he put his neck on the line to get me, and I and I let him down in, in, in all aspects of it. I did let him down massively, and then he left. and Daishi, Daishi couldn't stand me when he when he was assistant, not for anything I'd said. Like I wasn't rude or anything. I just I just took the took the, the Mick out of people, and you know the trust and and I just didn't warrant anything that he was saying. I think they could see there was potential there, but. Um, certainly didn't have the appetite and the and the correct mindset to, to fit into what they were doing. So Dicey challenged me in pre season and, and I will always say this was the biggest turning point in my career. While while Jail was, this was a big turning point in, in, in making me a, a man I suppose in football. Um he challenged me in, in pre season. we went away and I think it was to France I wanna say and he literally tried to break me every day for ten days, whether it be the running whether it be the, the the few nights out that we had, he was like, "Troll, get drunk." Troll, do so this. I genuinely didn't touch a drink. I didn't quit on any of the runs, and I just I just kept ploughing away. And every time we brought a new player in, I was like, "Don't matter. I'm still going to be. Here. I'm still going to be here." And on the last day of the transfer window, we tried to I tried to do a swap deal with um, Lee Novak, he used to be at mm-hmm. Huddersfield. Yeah, he was at the time. Him and Jordan Rhodes were smashing in League One. Yeah. So they tried to do a, a a swap with me for for him, that fell through, and then I was going to get sold to Coventry on the same day when Lucas Jukovic was going to go to Middlesbrough. So I was ended up sitting around, and I was I was genuinely gutted at that point because I thought I've I've worked hard, I've shown you what I'm about, kind of thing, and I still weren't for you. And I was literally going when I get to January I'll move, and then in January we sold Marvin Sordell to Bolton, and it was on a Tuesday night we played Mid, uh, Millwall. It's me and Joe Garner, and I think I was on the bench to start with, either me or Joe. One of us was on the bench. Marvin was starting, but literally in the team meeting, Marvin had pulled himself out, and then he went. Troy, you and Joe are starting, and then he just kind of went. Who wants it? Guy who's been scoring the goals is is now sold. Who wants to step up and take them, the mantle? And me and me and Joe both scored on that night. We we beat Millwall two one, but I I kind of kicked on from that moment. And then you know, unfortunately, got locked up at the end of the end of the footballing year. But that was it where I really kicked on. And while on the pitch, everything started going well. My dad found out he was he had cancer at the end of Feb, died like early May. Well, late May, sorry. So while all this stuff on on the pitch is going, while well, I'm scoring, I'm focused, I'm doing whatever. And then in the middle of that, and my dad dying and stuff, I ended up getting into all that trouble as well. So I had. My dad dying on, on one aspect and me not knowing what to do. I'm, I'm fighting a case in terms of legally trying to send me to jail. And then I'm also trying to control the football. So that was a part of me really growing up and, and having to understand that football is, is a real big denominator. And it's not just a game when, when everything else in, in terms of the finances and the business aspects of it takes care of so many people to then come out of jail and have a re, refocus and, and rejuvenated to have Gianfranco then go, right, I saw you play West Ham. I thought you was really good, but we need to work on this, this and this. And I remember the first day I came in, if you've got to remember as well, i have been in jail for like three months, never had a haircut, was throwing weights around all the time. So I just looked like this big 70s bodybuilder. And um, And then I went into his office and I had a tag on as well. So I went in and I just said, like, hi, I'm Troy. And he goes, I know who you are. Played West Ham. I thought you were really good. But just to let you know, because at this point in the park, so I was bought in, I think, 38 players or something like that. I was the seventh choice striker at this point. Wow. He went, he went, you're the seventh choice striker. He said, you know, we can try and figure it out and see where you fit in. And I laughed. And he went, did I say something wrong? I went, no, no, sorry. Didn't mean to insult you. I said, you just said I was seventh choice. So give me a week. And he went, oh, I like that. And I went, oh, you'll like what you'll see. And then I went home on the, that was a Tuesday. I went back into training on the Wednesday. Trained on my own for four days. We played QPR um, in like in a range friendly because we had so many players. Played and scored in that on the went the following Wednesday, a week later. Then on this Saturday, I was on the bench against Bristol City. And I came on for the last 15 minutes. And then the following week, so what, 15 days later, I played Huddersfield away and scored the winner, and then never looked back after that. Are you ready? Are you ready for life?
1: life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Oh, given away by Alexander-Arnold. Is Assar inside the area. Deeney with an open net to score and does. And it's 3-0. 72 minutes on the clock. Troy Deeney gets his first ever goal against Liverpool. And it could be the goal that means that Liverpool have beaten for the first time this season. I mentioned this earlier on, that the centre forward is often the star it's not an individual sport like tennis or, or boxing, which I know you love, but there is yes. heightened pressure on someone in your position and and, and, and obviously a lot of eyes on you as well. You you talked about boxing and you've got an affinity with it. If you had walk on music, what would it be?
2: It's the final countdown. Be my <laughs> Yeah. Just something like that. Just a bit fun. Um, no, there's an element of risk in it, but also just, you know what? We're here for a, a short time. Let, let's just enjoy it. I don't, I don't see any challenges as too big and too scary. So, yeah, let's just let's just have a, have a bit of fun with it. Do
1: you use music to rev you up? Do you use tools like that to rev you up or have you?
2: <laughs> There's this perception that I just like sit in the corner, listen to the most aggressive music ever and then go out and I'm just angry. I actually listen to like really soft music in the sense of like on my playlist, I've got like ABBA and stuff on there that my mum used to listen to. Barry White, some new school R&B. And then a few songs that my mates have made. And and that's about it, really. I try and be as calm as I can because I know football gets me. I'm so passionate about it that I'm going to get wound up anyway. So I try and reserve all my energy for as long as I can.
1: I know you love a bit of banter in the dressing room, on Twitter, post-match interviews. If you had your time again, would you uh, question Arsenal's cojones?
2: I was right. Made a lot of people famous as well because how many people said it after me? The only thing that people don't like is that it was me that said it and I was still playing. I remember Merson hammering me, saying, how, how dare we say this, how dare we say that? And three weeks later, I said the same thing. Do you know what it is? I, I'm not very good at speaking in terms of trying to un- get people to understand my point. So while well, I've got a bit of a platform, I'll say it. But my thing with, when I was talking about Arsenal is that for years and, and decades, again, you know, George Graham and under Underwenger as well at the early part, they were really well-drilled, never let many goals in, had a real steel, steeliness about them. That's what they were built on. So they were kind of like the Mike Tyson. Before he'd already played, he was like, they've oh. also got like Armory and Perez and Lundberg and Bergkamp and all, you can keep going. The list is endless of all these great attacking players that they've got and have got to this day. It was all built on the fundamentals of a solid back five. Now, you could probably argue for what, the last 10 years, there hasn't been a solid foundation to build off.
0: Oh, Socrates has given it away and Cleverly has scored! Watford gifted an interest in the game. We highlighted in the first half the risks that Arsenal were prepared to take at times and it just seems absolutely daft.
2: While they're really good going forward and when it clicks, they're unbelievable, but there's a vulnerability and any team that plays against them. So if you was to ask someone that played for Burnley, to be honest, or West Ham or any of that, you go, let's not try and out-footballer. Let's just... Get it up into them, get off the second ball, and try and run over them. and that's what people do, and people have had success with it. So the facts are the facts. I've got a big head. Call me a big head. It is what it is, isn't it?
1: One of the games which really stands out for well, the game that stands out for me. When I think Troy Dean, I think of the FA Cup semi-final. Delafayo coming off the bench, turning the yeah. game, and then you clinching the penalties to send Watford to a cup final for the first time since '84. What were yeah. you thinking at two nil down?
2: It was a really strange game because I always felt that we was in control and and, it, and was comfortable, but we just we just didn't do anything. We we had a big chance um, in the first half. I crossed for uh, Andre Gray, and he went with his foot. Went up, and I thought he should have headed it. And um, if he would have scored, I think if we would have scored the first goal, we probably would have went on a, been a bit more easier because it would have made Wolves come out. But at two 0 down, I'm thinking we, we still got a chance, and then we just kept going, but we kind of lost our our game plan. It kind of just became a war of attrition, just of kicking it long and hope Troy heads it and hope it drops to someone. It was just all hopeful. And then, thankfully, in the last minute, I didn't go to my normal space of trying to attack the back post. Someone just said that there's no way he's going to be able to put this to the back post, so kind of hang back and go and attack it. And, thankfully, I did that and uh, I think it was Den Dendonka kind of left the leg out and just took me down and I wasn't sure whether the ref was going to give it. I know um, Mike Oliver likes to take a lot of time and his dramatic pros is to uh, make sure his Instagram looks good but he uh, he definitely he definitely took his time with that one and thankfully he got it and then when he said VAR I was like oh here we go I'm not gonna get a penalty am I and yeah it came but I kind of just took myself away it was it was it was surreal no more than probably a minute and a half it felt like a lifetime I went and got a drink and I remember just like looking at a couple of fans and they're like come on Joyce go and I just just started laughing. Don't ask me why. maybe it was a nervous laugh or whatever. I just started laughing. I just thought, this is kind of the stuff we've been waiting for, isn't it? All live and falls on, on this one shot. And have you got the nuts to step up and take it? And I just thought, you know what, if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss on my own terms. So so all that work Franco had done kind of went out the window. I just <laughs> And I literally just went, Do you know what, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. Hopefully, it went in. 2
1: 1 down. Deaney steps up, right he right it down the middle of the
2: pitch. And
1: what for the level in stoppage time at the end of the semi final through Troy Deaney, their captain. At the end, you walk to one end, you collapse on your knees. There's that moment where we see you just taking that little bit of time for yourself. What are you thinking? You're thinking only about the final, or is that not even in your mind at that point? You're just thinking, this is, as you say, boy's own
2: stuff. From them times of playing Wembley singles up against the garage, like we all did as kids, this is this is what it's about. You've just you've just won at Wembley, but I can't explain to you the feeling. It was just a like I wanted to cry, but I wanted to smile. I wanted to run around the pitch, but I had no energy in my legs. So it was like big bag of skittles of emotions, I suppose. And I just um just thought, you know what, just take this minute, enjoy it. You know, I just said a little prayer to my dad and to my granddad, obviously not not around anymore, and just said. The boys done good. And that was it. And then I um I left. And this is probably something that like people don't realise that So when we went into the dressing room afterwards, naturally everybody's jumping around and happy and whatever. I just got my phone and I had a box that day. So I went straight up to the box and just had had a, a drink with my family and give my mum a hug and my, and my missus a hug. I just needed I don't do the whole all of us and we're all great unless I think there's a picture actually. So I think someone took a picture, you know, in the dressing room afterwards mm. and you'll see that I'm not there. I kind of said well done to the boys and went upstairs and just had five minutes with my family and then come back down and join back in with the celebrations.
1: The final itself obviously didn't go to plan. Can you put... just <laughs>
2: your... a bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you put your finger on why it went so badly wrong? Do you think it's just that they are Manchester City?
2: We actually started the game off really well. Hmm. We had the big chance with uh, Roberto Pereira when we hit him on the counter-attack. And if he scores at that point, again, I'm not trying to blame him for anyone that's going to jump, jump on the bandwagon, but if he scores at that point, the confidence just goes through the roof. But not only that, then everyone goes, we've got something to hold on for here. He didn't score. They scored just before halftime. And we were still like, all right, well, if we can stay a bit longer like this, you never know. But then they started the second half, and I think they hit two or three pretty quick, and it was just like, wow, it kind of gone from being we were with a chance to, we're winding and what is happening and they're just you know how relentless they are they just keep coming they keep coming they keep coming and and we just we just fell apart and I think that's what it was essentially people quit on the day and I said it I said my piece afterwards I thought people quit on the day and and that that was it really.
1: This season's been cut out by the pandemic, um, yeah. But just before the lockdown, we were all at Vicarage Road on a Saturday evening. And you were part of that Watford team that ended Liverpool's unbeaten record this season I thought the the reason for the victory was that everybody had played at their maximum is that how it was viewed in the changing room what did you put it down to
2: we took our chances in, in that game I think the first half was very much about containing and and I think it's going to sound really bad but you know like the dela injury was was horrible for yes. for him and for us but it also come at a good time in terms of it killed the game for Six, seven, eight minutes, we all kind of got back into it. Like, right, let's get into half-time and refigure it out. We got in at nil-nil. And then we'd all went, they're here for the taking, you know, boys. Let's have a go. And when you've got the pace of this man aside, like, you, you've got an absolute diamond in the rough there that, is, that can potentially go on to do whatever he wants to do. And we were playing well, so we, we scored we scored goals um, at key moments. I remember being on the pitch and being 3-0 up going, if they score one, they could score four here. Yeah? Like, no one was very safe. We were still running harder to the last minutes. And I think what you said, I think everyone, if you were doing the old school ratings, I think everyone would have got an eight to a nine out of ten.
1: Hold the back page. Liverpool are beaten for the first time in the Premier League this season. And they are beaten by a club fighting for their lives. On its day, with Z cars blasting out as you walk out the tunnel, a sea of black and yellow, the flags that they sometimes have in the stadium it's an emotional place vicarage road does it feel to you like like home does it evoke emotions in you when you walk out on big big nights
2: yeah definitely and i do i do i've always had a thing with night games i don't know why i feel like night games are just they're just better aren't they it's dark the floodlights are on it feels more passionate more intimate i suppose when it's when it's darker and all all the floodlights are on and you can just appreciate that everyone's there but yeah when the music's blasting and it's a it's a game against. I don't always think it's the big games, you know, like your, your your top six teams. I think the games where people really get up for it is when it's a, it's whoever wins keeps themselves safe. I remember us doing that a few years ago where we played West Ham and whoever won kind of put themselves at like thirty eight points were about six games to go. So it was like a big game in sense of whoever won kind of went, ah, oh, this is, this is the one that's going going to kind of get us safe, and uh, we beat them that day. And I think. Just nights like that, I can remember that just make you go, nah, this is what it's all about. And I think fans, especially of uh, smaller clubs, they kind of galvanise when you're in your time of need and they get louder and that then makes the players run an extra 5%, which they probably didn't know they had. So just nights like that, it is is special. And I do walk out sometimes and go, this is my home. I'm in charge of making sure that this is run properly.
1: At the end of these interviews that I've been doing, we've been testing our nines, our strikers, and we call it the perfect hat-trick. Can we see how well you know yourself? Just three questions?
2: Of course you can, All, yeah. about,
1: all about you. I know you like a quiz. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
2: probably going to get it wrong. That's the embarrassing thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: on your Watford debut, you came off the bench. Who did you come on for? Marvin Sordell. Correct. Yeah. Um, when you scored a hat-trick for Watford against Bournemouth I think it's your first ever yeah. hat trick wasn't it um, yeah. 6-1 2013 you became the yeah. first Watford player to score a hat trick at Vicarage Road since I want to say Michael Chopra you were the I'm first sure Watford forth. player to score a hat trick since Michael Chopra
2: yeah. but at Vicarage Road Ooh. it could be even longer than that Then Let, let's just throw Luther in the mix
1: David Connolly in nineteen ninety six. Ah, yeah. but Chopra was that you did was the first hat trick since Chopra in two thousand and three. We'll um, get half a point for that. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, including <laughs> caretakers, how many managers have you played under at Watford?
2: Oh wow, <laughs> we got um, include including caretakers. Yeah, Melky Dashi, Dola Wow, I want to say thirty. Cool
1: absolutely bang on well done
2: you've been listening to Upfront
1: with Troy Deeney and me Sam Matterface and if you missed any of the show or just want to catch up you can download the podcast from the TalkSport game day feed available on Apple Podcasts Acast
0: and Spotify The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes The latest odds we set them form guides we've got them Expert opinions. We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...